What I want to share with you uh, today, um, potentially a little bit of an unusual take on a familiar scripture. 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17. And some of you who know your Bibles um, will recognize uh, this scripture, the Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. If you don't usually read the Bible or if you don't usually find yourself in church, we just absolutely love the fact you're here and want you to feel really welcome. This, this bit uh, uh, of our meeting is like an opportunity to come around the Word of God because we believe that there is something powerful uh, and, and uh, in the Word of God, it gives us wisdom and insight for life. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to read this story, this account uh, of, that we find in 1 Kings 17. Starting at verse 7, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, which was Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil, a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and, and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, to be honest, I don't think any of us are looking for more information, but we are looking for revelation. We need a word from you. We don't want something that's just going to touch our intellects. We need something that's going to feed our spirits. Because we have some situations that we need to deal with. We have some issues that we need to work our way through. And we need to hear the voice of God. We need to hear the voice of the Spirit helping us to understand, comprehend what it is that you want us to do. And we pray, Lord God, as we come around your word right now, you would seize the opportunity to speak into our hearts. And we pray that our hearts would be open and receptive to whatever it is that you would say to us this afternoon in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. 
I uh, just found myself um, meditating on this scripture and there's like, for me, a few fascinating things um, just to look at because it kind of catches you off guard. It's, it's like, I don't know, you, you have a set of expectations of how things are going to work and then it's like the Lord just turns up and shows you something completely different. So like, as a for instance, we read there that, that God had directed um, a widow uh, woman to look after Elijah. And, uh, and yet, what we discover is that it seems like God didn't seem like he wanted to let the widow woman know that. It's like a, a weird set of circumstances. You know, it was like, I don't know. If, if, I'm, if I'm getting a word like this from God, there's something in me that's kind of expecting. As I approach the city, I see a woman in the distance. She will move towards me, slightly bow and say, I have been expecting you. I don't know, that's kind of where I'm pitching it. It didn't even seem like she noticed him because he had to call to her. It's like she was on a mission, as we can see, and he actually had to call to her. And therefore, the second thing that I find fascinating is that God's answers to my situation don't always look like I'd imagined. Because you see, the thing is this, Elijah found himself in a place of need. And God said to him, hey, don't worry. I've already, I've already got you sorted, man. I prepared a widow woman, and she is going to be there. She's going she's gonna to sort it out. Elijah, amazing. God, you are on it. I just love you. And I, I don't think he was expecting to find a starving widow woman. Like, we're talking about a woman who's preparing to die. It's like, sometimes it's not the bits that God tells you. It's the bits he, leave out, he leaves out. It's like, if I tell him everything, he might not go. But like, if I, if I, if I, if I leave that bit out, he'll, he'll work it out when he gets there. So he, he gets to, 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 to meet this woman. And I, and I think it's intriguing from both sides. It's true from the widow's side. It's true from Elijah's side. And I think it's something that we need to understand is that miracles flow out of need. Now, you say, okay, well, there's something a little bit obvious about that. Yeah, but I also think that we don't think that through because we love the ideas of miracles. We love it when God turns up. We love it when God comes through. We love it when God gives us uh, what, we've, what we've been believing for. But what isn't quite so exciting is that you get to a point of need that that. Both of them got to the, the end of themselves. Both of them got to the end of their resources, more or less. And, and we need to understand that God is a God of miracles, but our circumstances will, will, will bring us to a point of need before we see the miraculous intervention. The other thing that I found myself reflecting upon a bit was the, the, what, what, what poverty does. We, 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 poverty has a profound impact 
upon us. And I was intrigued at the impact that it had upon this woman. Because poverty is often generational. We, it often gets passed down. And, and the effects of it get passed down, certainly. But poverty also has a mindset. Because this woman had found herself in a place where she wasn't expecting to be blessed. In fact, she says, what, she says here, I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son and that we may eat it and die. I, I don't know. For me, there's not a lot of hope in that sentence. And I think it's because poverty has the propensity to expect the worst. It, it, it finds itself um, afraid to hope that things can be better. There's this weird thing, isn't it? That sometimes we'd rather play things down than be disappointed. So we, we kind of rob ourselves of the joy of something because we, we don't want to find ourselves in a place of disappointment. It's like, it's, you know, it doesn't matter how blue the sky is, you know, we're looking for clouds. It doesn't matter how amazing things are, there's always that side of us that kind of wants to say, oh, well, you know, don't get too happy. Don't get too jolly because, you know, we've been here before and things can get pretty messed up. Uh, so, you know, rather, okay, I'm just going to enjoy it, but I'm not expecting it to last. And we shoot our experience in the foot. When actually, you know, for me, if weeping remains in the, uh, for a night and joy comes in the morning, you've got to learn to enjoy your morning. If God is giving you your joy, enjoy your morning. Don't be get to morning and say, yeah, well, how long it will it be before we're weeping again? Because... We never actually get to the joy bit. We're always weeping. And it's like, when we're not weeping, we're expecting to weep. And then when we are weeping, we say, you see, you see, I told you. I told you it was going to happen. If when God, when joy comes in the morning, have your celebration. Enjoy it. Take it for everything it can. Allow it to sustain you through the difficult days because God is a faithful God. Poverty has an impact on our sense of, of worth. It can say, I'm not worth that. One of the things, in fact, one of the things I spoke prophetically, consistently uh, into the church that we led in, in, in Cape Town was to do with uh, the sense of worth. Apartheid, uh, many of you will understand that in regard to the history of, of South Africa, and we were, we were dealing, although apartheid had long gone, but we were dealing with the, the um, psychological uh, implications, the after effects, and, 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 and it was an I can't culture. Apartheid was always telling you what you couldn't do. You can't go there, well for some anyway. You can't go there, you can't do that. And, and people lived within a very small place, and, and one of the things that we, you know, we took the opportunity of doing was teaching people that, hey, listen, you've got to learn to live with a sense of permission. I mean, never mind about it being a new nation now, but, but you're a child of God. 
And you're not to live in those small places saying, oh, that's not for me. That, 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 I, I don't have to, sorry, I, I, don't, I, I don't deserve an opportunity to go there. I used to tell people, and you know, we had some very poor people in the church, but I said, look, you know, you can, you can save up a, a, a few rand a, a week and, and in a couple of months, you know, you could, you could actually go into a five-star hotel and order a coffee and a Coke. You know, take, go in, take, take your kids, expose them, just expose them to a different atmosphere. That just, you know, the, you go there, funnily enough, often you'll be paying, paying for your coffee and your Coke, but you'll, you'll get a few peanuts there or a few chips, or, uh, Chris rather, on a plate. They'll just, just throw those in because of the environment. And you, you might not be that comfortable in that environment. You might say, you know what, I prefer, I don't like this, it's too stiff, it's too starchy, I want to chill more, that's cool, but, but what about your kids? At least give them the opportunity to experience something that you have never experienced, but who knows, you might actually love it, sit down, expose yourself to the enjoy environment, enjoy it, don't sit there thinking, do you know what, I could have got this coffee cheaper somewhere else, that is not the point. That is not the point. Sometimes it's worth the opportunity just to be in a different environment and become a bigger person. That's all part of breaking out of that poverty mentality. You see, otherwise, poverty will rob you of the opportunities money can give you. Because the problem isn't to do with the money. The problem is to do with your expectation. The problem is to do what you are looking for. And, and, and if you can understand that, that and it, if, it's amazing, when you broke it down and understand, I mean like, I don't know what, for 50 rand or something, 60 rand, you know, which was a lot of money to some people, but if you broke it down and said, you know, you saved up over a couple of months, every single one of us in this room could expose ourselves to that opportunity and some people absolutely did it which was amazing I understand I'm not talking about you know I know that some of us like to live frugally and we're bargain hunters and we like to get the good deal and all that I'm, that's cool I mean I'm not talking about that because God is not a wasteful God he is he is he, he's a God who's um, resourceful he's a he's a God who's extravagant but he's never wasteful but you see we see the impact that poverty had, 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 had upon her. And I, I've, I've written down here, I've called it, it's a few sticks mentality. You see, we read there that when Elijah calls to her, um, she says, you know, uh, she was happy to get him a glass of water because that was uh, culturally expected anyway. But of course, then he made a demand upon her that she wasn't able to give in her mind. And she focused on the fact that she had a handful of flour, she had a little oil, and, the Bible, and she says, I'm gathering a few sticks. A few sticks because we're going to have our last meal and we're going to die. Now, well, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, that few sticks mentality... If you're planning your last meal, 
have a bonfire. Don't come with that few sticks business. I want logs. I want, you know what I mean? We're gonna, if we're going to have our last meal, let's at least have a party doing it. You know, I mean, we, we, we might as well. You know, uh, I don't know. If you, if you think you're going to die, bring the chairs, bring the table. You know, just put it all on there and, and, and just have an absolute bonfire. But, but she was trapped. She was trapped in her limited thinking. She was trapped even though she couldn't, because she was so focused on her lack, she couldn't see beyond her lack. She couldn't see opportunity. She couldn't see more. She became paralyzed by her perception and limited by her lack. And that carries with it an atmosphere. That, that environment will impact. It won't only impact her. It will impact the family. Some of you will know exactly what I've talked about. I mean, I like part of the reason I was reflecting was because some of the stuff I was brought up around. Now, some of you know, I mean, I was not brought up in a wealthy environment and blah de blah de blah working class, each having its mentality, but some of it was just poverty mentality, you know? I, my, my, my mom and dad had like a cheap and cheerful approach and usually it was more cheap than it was cheerful. But it was, it was just a way of doing life. I remember, I've got a vivid memory of my brother standing in the corner of the room wearing a new pair of trousers. And uh, what I remember is my dad was getting him to turn in certain ways, and that will become clear in a moment. So my dad had gone to the shop to buy him some trousers that he needed, and he saw that there was a pair uh, on offer. The reason they were on offer is because they'd been in the window, and one leg had faded in the sun. And so my dad thought, Rizzo, few quid off, we'll get these. And he had got my brother in the corner of the room turning in different directions so that the light wouldn't catch how faded one leg was, because it definitely was. And he was, he, my dad was so focused on the fact that the bargain, not on the fact that my brother was walking around with a faded leg. He had to practically walk down the street like that so that you couldn't see the faded leg. I've got another trousers story where my dad was uh, buying me some new uh, school trousers. Now, what I'm about to say will just go straight over some of your head and you won't understand and this, this fashion has never come back, probably with good reason. But when I was in high school, there, there was a, a fashion for uh, the guys to have a pair of trousers called Oxford bags. Now, Oxford bags, you've, you've heard of flares. Well, flares are about that wide. Oxford bags are about that right. It actually looked like a generation had got no feet because... Not only did it cover the length of your foot, it touched the ground. And in the rain, water soaked up all the way. But it didn't matter. Why? Because you look cool. That's all that mattered. The Oxford bags, they were amazing. They were wide. Six-button waistband. Six-button waistband. And they had pockets on the side 
that you actually could fit your exercise books in. So they, you didn't even have to bring a bag to school. You could put your exercise books in, your pencil case, and uh, amazing. So obviously, you know, when it's cool to do something like that, everybody wants to do that. I mean, all I wanted was a pair of Oxford bags. But my dad didn't see it my way. So he took me to like the school's outfitters as it was back then. And then like, you know, there were these trousers on offer because they weren't Oxford bags. And you know, like we have skinny jeans now, but back then we called them drain pipes. So you can see where this is going. And, and these drain, but like, I mean, I, I actually would have loved them now, but back then, they were like, I was wearing drain pipes in a world of Oxford bags. I did why did he just not buy me the Oxford bags and let me just blend with the crowd? But no, there they were like, you know, like you could almost, as I walked down the street, you could have, <laughs> people making comments about the blood supply being cut off to your legs and all that. Yeah. Anyway, my counselor says in a couple of months I should have been over it. But they, 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 they just didn't learn how to, to break out of that mentality of like it wasn't that they didn't have the ability. It's one thing when you don't have the ability, but if you do have the ability, um, you know, sometimes in life it's not that you can't, it's not whether you can't afford to do it, it's you can't afford not to. You can't afford not to because of the, the impact that, 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 that it's going to have. And so sometimes you've got to make those choices. That's why, you know, we, we talk here about a six-star service. You know, it's because for me, in the, in the world, the, you, you get good service by being able to pay for it. So the more money you've got and the more potential you've got of spending it, that's when you get good service, the five-star hotel. It's the difference between the economy section of the plane and the business class section of the plane. It's that if you've got money, no doubt you get treated. If you're prepared to pay, you'll get treated better. You know, it's like you sat there in economy watching business class served with champagne and orange juice and hot towels, and it's like you're... You, you even ask for a drink of water in economy. No, no, we'll, we'll serve drinks later. It's like, right. And you just have this glimpse into another world until they draw the curtain when you're taken off. And then you're just imagining what's going on the other side as you're tucking into your chicken or beef. But... <laughs> you see... To me, that's the world system. That's the world system of valuing. Okay, we'll value you if we know we're going to get something out of it. And that's why I, I believe the gospel is different. We value you for you. You, you, don't, you don't have to come and pay for this. You, know, you, come, come with, you don't have to have money for this. We do this not because of what we're going to get out of you. We do this because we value you, not just what you have. But back to our story, I, I, 
again, another f a number of things that I find I I intriguing was that clearly Elijah spoke into her life, came with a prophetic word. I, essentially, he was saying, hey, you know, if you first make me a loaf of bread and then, you know, you don't have to worry because basically you're going to have you're going to have more than enough. And I mean, that, that was a big ask to believe. You know, especially when she was approaching things already from that mentality. But I do find it interesting. Why? Why did Elijah not just say, hey, from this moment, from this moment, you will have more than enough. I, you know, I, I, I just speak to your provision. And, but he didn't. He gave her a test. He gave her a job. She had to do something first before she got her breakthrough. Her, the prophecy was dependent on her priorities. The prophet had to first see that she made God, she put God first. And when she put God first, then she would see the breakthrough because giving was the source of her blessing. She had to give first. Obedience released the provision. It's a bit like Abraham when God uh, stopped him from uh, sacrificing his son and then he looked up and uh, saw a ram caught in the thicket and uh, the, you can go and, uh, and, and, and read it yourself when you've got a minute, Genesis 22. But it says in that, that place, in that place, it was called the Lord will provide. Well, what's that place? Well, that place was the place of ob obedience. Because I, I believe that the ram had always been there. It didn't just appear. That's why it was caught in the thicket. But the only way Abraham eyes, had eyes to see the provision was once he'd been obedient. Once he'd have been obedient, he'd had eyes to see what God had provided. That place is the place of obedience. When I obey God, it gives him permission to exceed my expectations. That's good. That's good. When I obey God, it gives him permission to exceed my expectations. You see, God is always going to bless. His, his, his nature is to bless. When I was far from God, doing whatever I wanted, you know, sin, everything, God still blessed me. God blessed me as a sinner. I didn't realize it particularly at the time, but when I look back over my life, when I think of some of the things that God protected me from, when I think of things, some things that should have happened and didn't, I know that even while I was far from God, denying He ever existed, in the midst of that, God was pouring out blessing. Yet, it's absolutely also true that when I obey Him, I open up an opportunity for blessing that I wouldn't ordinarily have had. Because in order to get through to that level of blessing, you've got kind of your general level of blessing, but in order to get to that level of blessing, there is something required of me. It's like, it's like when, you know, he, he, 
he got the, the, the woman to give first. That's why, that's why I give God his tithe first. Because the first things belong to God. Tithe, 10% of my income, I give that, I give that. It's not my tithe, it's his tithe. Never belonged to me. It belongs to him. I'm giving him what belongs to him. That's my test. God is saying, what does he say there in Malachi? He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see, I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That's the prophecy. He gave the woman her prophecy, but first he had to test her priorities. Malachi gives us our prophecy, but yet God firstly has to test our priorities. Am I obedient? If I am, then God, I give God permission to exceed my expectation. You know, life ultimately is about choices. It's about choices. You know, sometimes we talk about choice as consequences, and there's kind of a, a negative connotation to that. But the reality is, there are great consequences to good choices. There are great consequences to good choices. The key to breaking the spirit of poverty over my life and over my family, without doubt, has been putting God first and giving Him what is His. That is it. And I can't even begin to tell you how many times in my life, you know, with God, it's not that you pass the test once. <laughs> you know, you have to pass the test several times. I can't even begin to tell you how many times, you know, I've, the, the test has been, do I give God his tithe or do I pay those bills? Or do I give God his tithe and then I trust God for those bills? Well, I can tell you, sometimes it has taken a little time. I mean, we all love those next day deliverances, but sometimes, I haven't had a lot of those testimonies. You know, my, mine is like, my, I, I'm one of those people who have to be taken clearly right to the edge. You know, it's like a nanosecond to midnight, and that's when I get the breakthrough. But of course, God is never early and he's never late. He's always on time. He's always exactly on time. And if I'm trusting, then it's always on time for me first. You see, God can only, and I talk about trust. It's a two-way thing. We're always talking about uh, me trusting God, but God's also trusting us. God's trusting us to respond in the right way. So that's why, that's the test. God isn't giving us a test because he wants us to fail. He's giving us a test because he expects us to succeed. Because he was saying that if you're going to see that level of blessing, there's got to be a transaction of trust. And I've got to see that you will do what you say. Give to God what is his first. Proverbs 3 verse 9 to 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will bring over with new wine. Once again, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits, then your barns will be filled. First the priorities, then the prophecy. Jeremiah 
17 verse 7 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So that this, this massive consequences, massive positive consequences to trust in the Lord. And, and you see that immediately outlaid in the account of our widow because we understand, of course, that she was bold enough, brave enough, courageous enough to, to, to step out and to make the man of God his little bit of uh, bread. And uh, she brought it to him. Um, and the flour never ran out. The oil never ran out. She got her breakthrough. What was amazing was the drought continued outside the house. The famine continued outside the house. But inside the house, the famine was over. The famine was over. There was, there was suddenly two realms. That's why Jeremiah is saying, you don't fear when the heat comes. There's no worries in a year of drought. Because when I give to God what is God's, He's going to make sure that no matter what is going on out there in the world, over your house, the famine's broken. Over your house, it's over. You're going to always, no matter what recession the world is going to go through, as a child of God, you can expect that as you give to God what is God's, there's not going to be famine in your house. God wants to make you rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That's why that it wasn't just for the widow. The widow was prospered, but she was given the ability to bless Elijah, to bless her family. She had enough for herself. It wasn't just about her. She was blessed enough to be generous with others also. The spirit of poverty was broken over that household by putting God first. And we need to understand that, that God, God wants us to walk in a blessed life. A blessed life is not a problem-free life. A blessed life is not a trouble-free or a challenge-free life. A blessed life has its challenges, when we read there in Jeremiah, there clearly were times when the heat came. There were clearly times when the drought came. But the blessed life means no matter what life throws at me, God's got me. Everything's going to be fine. No matter what is going on out there, as for me and my house, we will see the blessing of God. This poor man called and the Lord heard him saved him out of all his troubles. This woman saw the miracle of not enough becoming more than enough. Not enough became more than enough. I think there's many more powerful things to draw out of that, but the time is against us. Let me just say this. I did feel to emphasize this this morning, and I feel it again in this service. This widow was preparing for a funeral. 
but God was preparing her for favor. She thought it was all over, and yet she was in a stone's throw of breakthrough. I just want to say to somebody here today, someone who maybe thinks it's all over, it's gone too far, maybe you're on the verge of giving up like she was. Maybe it's just all become too much and, ah, forget it. The word of the Lord comes to where you are to say, this is, this is not about giving up. I find it, I find it interesting that God made a demand on her. Even though she'd come to the end of herself emotionally, she was giving up. She, she'd already made the decision. She was preparing herself for death. But God made a demand on her and something ignited in her. I just believe that someone here today may feel at the end of themselves may feel like giving up, but God is here to make a demand upon you and say, give me what is mine. And I'm going to pour out a blessing on you and your household like you would never have believed possible. Psalm, 18 verse, Psalm 118 verse 17 says this, I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. And I don't know, See, for me, her shift in attitude didn't necessarily come when she saw that the flour and the oil wasn't going to run out. Her shift in attitude came when she decided, you know what, I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to do what he says. And as she was making that little loaf of bread that was for Elijah, God was doing a miracle in her heart and life and I think something like that came into her heart I will not die I was preparing to die I was preparing to give up I was preparing to throw in the towel but you know what I'm not gonna die I'm gonna live and I'm gonna declare the good things that God has done the devil is a liar I'm not giving up I'm not, I'm not going to pass this by. What was I thinking? What was going through my mind? My God, I'm awake now. I may have been sleeping a few minutes ago, but I'm awake now. I'm not giving up. I am not, not going to just give it all away. In Jesus' name, I will not die, but I will live. And I will declare the great things my God has done. And it was out of that, out of the shift in her attitude, she saw a shift in her circumstances. And I just want to believe for you today. You know, God will never ask you. The trouble is with some of us, if we'd have been watching that, maybe we'd watched a little bit of the story where we knew like she was at the end of herself and running out of stuff and we, we saw her go out and you know here she was gathering a few sticks and I, I believe her whole posture would have been down and depressed because she knew what was about to come and then we saw Elijah come along 
and say, fetch me a drink of water. Oh, and give me some bread. And she was saying, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm, I'm actually preparing our last meal. I'm, I'm going to die. You know, we'd, we'd have been saying, shame, man. No, 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 no. Come on, come on. You know, it's, that's tough. It's, it's too tough. I mean, she's hardly got anything for herself. And you standing there with your big man self, doing nothing, making her go and make you food. Meanwhile, it was exactly what she needed. Because God doesn't see things in the, way I, in the way we do. He put a demand upon her because he knew that that, that demand would open her up. God will never ask you to do anything that's too much for you. He will never ask you to do anything that is not for your good and not for your ultimate blessing. And so there may be others around saying, oh no, never mind, never mind. Let me tell you, sometimes those people can be never minding you to your death. Sometimes what we need is someone to say, hey, you've got more than you think. You, you are misinterpreting your circumstances. You, uh, let me open your eyes to some things that you can't see right now. What you are seeing is lack is actually immense potential. What you're seeing as a disaster is actually an opportunity for the grace of God. Do not allow yourself to be confused by these circumstances because God is greater than your circumstances. And if you would just listen to Him, if you just do what He says, you're on the verge of a breakthrough that would, won't only be a blessing to you, but to those around you. Shall we pray? Time's gone. Time's gone.